Well, I call this a strange healing because as far as I know, this is out of step with every other healing of our Lord. It's certainly a strange healing, and I don't mean any disrespect to our Lord, but it's out of the ordinary. I want you to notice with me a couple things about this. First of all, Jesus restores partial sight. Now, there may be several things that are unique about this miracle of healing, but one is certainly this. Jesus healed this man in a two-stage process. After an application of his healing power, the Lord asks the man, do you see anything? The man responds by affirming that he can see, but only partially. He can only make people out as a basic outline. He says as though it's like a bunch of trees got tired of standing in one place, and so they decided to pull up roots and to take a stroll. So he could barely see. He couldn't see clearly. There was only a partial healing after an application of our Lord's power. But then notice, secondly, not only do we have partial sight in the text, but you'll notice that there's perfect sight. That is to say, in verse 25, we read these words. Let me read it again. After that, he put his hands again upon his eyes and made him look up, and he was restored and saw every man clearly. This is a reapplication of our Lord's power to this man, and he's completely restored. Now, why did our Lord do this? He didn't have to do it this way. This wasn't a mess up. This wasn't, oh, come here, I didn't exert enough virtue. Now, that was embarrassing. I won't let that happen again. No, this was purposeful. So why did Jesus heal this man in a two-stage process when he could have indeed healed him instantly? Why didn't he do that? There must be some reason uh, behind the method, and there must be some purpose for doing it in this way. Now, perhaps this passage could illustrate, this healing could illustrate more than one truth, so I'm not suggesting that what I'm going to set before you is the only spiritual truth that Jesus is illustrating, but I believe that it might be the major reason why our Lord healed this man in a two-stage process. And here it is. This strange healing was designed to illustrate the spiritual blindness that remained in Jesus' disciples. It illustrates the spiritual blindness that remained in Jesus' disciples. And I say that based on where the Spirit had Mark place this in his gospel account. For example, back up with me for just a moment and let me read what took place before this in verses 14 to 21. And as I read it, I want you to see if you can detect the concept of remaining blindness in Jesus' disciples. Verse 14, now the disciples had forgotten to take bread, neither had they, uh, had they in the ship with them more than one loaf. And he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have no bread. And when Jesus knew it, he saith unto them, Why reason ye because you have no bread? Perceive ye not yet, neither understand. Have ye your heart yet hardened? Having eyes, listen to that, having eyes, see ye not? And having ears, hear ye not? And do you not remember 
When I break the five loaves among the five thousand, how many baskets full of fragments took you up? They say unto him, Twelve. And when the seven among four thousand, how many baskets full of fragments took you up? And they said, Seven. And he said unto them, How is it that you do not understand? Do you detect remaining spiritual blindness in Jesus' disciples in that instance? Jesus had performed a mighty miracle more than once, and yet his disciples still don't quite get it. And Jesus admonishes them. You still have hearts that are at least partially hardened. Do you not see, Jesus says? Well, 11 of these men saw. <laughs> One was a hypocrite, but 11 of them had been converted, born again. They had been given eyes to see the glory of the Son of God. So when Jesus says, do you not see, do you not understand, he must mean you still have remaining blindness in your heart from which you need to be healed. There was only a partial healing, if you will. A measure of spiritual blindness remained in the disciples. And I don't think it's a coincidence that that comes right before this two-stage healing where a man could partially see after an application of Jesus' power and then could fully see after a reapplication. Now, I want you to look with me at the incident that is recorded immediately following this two-stage healing. And as I read it, I want you to see if you can detect, again, the concept of spiritual blindness remaining in Jesus' disciples. In verse 27 through 33, And Jesus went out and His disciples into the towns of Caesarea Philippi. By the way, He asked His disciples, saying unto them, Who do men say that I am? They answered, uh, John the Baptist, some say Elias, and others one of the prophets. And he saith unto them, But who do you say? Who say ye that I am? And Peter answereth and saith unto them, Thou art the Christ. And he charged them that they should tell no man of him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he spake that saying openly. And Peter took him and began to rebuke him. But when he had turned and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. Peter makes this wonderful confession of Jesus Christ as the Son of God. And according to Matthew's account, Jesus says, Flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, Peter, but my Father who is in heaven. In other words, Peter, you've been given eyes to see who I am. You're no longer in the darkness. But no sooner does Peter make that great confession that he reveals the remains of spiritual blindness in his heart. Do you see that in the text? He could see, but only partially. There were things still about Christ and His mission that, to which He was blind and it was not clear. So Jesus even has to rebuke Him as an instrument in the devil's hand. So can you see in this incident a true disciple who could see, but who couldn't see? And I don't think it's a coincidence that this two-stage healing of the blind man immediately precedes the record of this incident. So turn with me to another text just very quickly where I believe that we find something of this, if you will, two-stage healing 
of our Lord for His disciples. And it's in Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. This Jesus is on resurrection ground. He's already appeared to His disciples many times. And we read these words in Luke chapter 24, verse 44 and following. Then He said unto them, These are the words which I spake to you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures, and said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer, and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in His name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You see, up to this point, the whole concept of a suffering Messiah, they had no room in their theology. Though they believed Him to be the Son of God, there was some blindness. What does Jesus do in this text? He gives a fresh application of grace to their minds. And then it clicks. And then they say, aha, now we get it. Now it's no longer, we're no longer in the darkness concerning this matter. And so I assert that we find in this strange healing an illustration, perhaps among other things, at least partially a, an illustration of the spiritual blindness that can remain in Christ's true people. Now, we have to admit here that there's something odd or there's something different and unique about the disciples' spiritual blindness. Certainly now with full revelation of the Gospels and with the wonderful epistles written in the New Testament, uh, no professing believer has any excuse or warrant not to believe those most basic facts about the gospel. I'm not going there. If we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord, believe in our heart God hath raised Him from the dead, we will be saved. This was a unique period in redemptive history. We're not quite in the same situation they were in. Nevertheless, I still believe that there's an abiding lesson from the text that there is yet remaining spiritual blindness in the hearts of Christ's people from which we need continual applications of His grace so that we can see more clearly and more clearly, more clearly and more clearly. Isn't that been your experience as a Christian in the Christian life? Have you, have you ever had the experience of you've been converted for many years and all of a sudden something clicks for you in the Bible and you think, why didn't I see that 25 years ago? Sometimes you even almost question if you were truly converted, it becomes such a, it's almost like getting born again again. It's just all of a sudden it shines out of the text and, and you see it more clearly. What was that? A, a, a fresh application of Christ's grace and power to your mind and to your heart that causes you to see more clearly. In what ways can this be true of us? Well, one way that we see in the text, and, and first that incident that precedes the text, is when we don't act consistently with what's already been made plain and clear to us. Jesus had fed the 5,000. He fed the 4,000. Now the disciples are all concerned that there's only one loaf of bread. And Jesus says, you guys just don't get it yet, do you? <laughs> 
How, how many times do I have to display my power and my care for you to the point that you no longer have a hard heart against me and where you actually believe in me, you actually trust in my grace and my goodness toward you, that you actually trust in my power. That's one way we can be spiritually blind and that we need Jesus to touch our eyes in a fresh way. But I don't want us to focus on this, on that particular application. What I want us to focus on is this. Our spiritual blindness, our spiritual blindness can at times be self-inflicted from which we need Jesus to deliver us. Now, I want you to think with me uh, about, uh, particularly about this matter that the disciples didn't quite get that Jesus had to go to Jerusalem to suffer and to die and rise from the dead. Now, when we hear that, we think, what's so difficult about accepting that? That's, that's our bread and butter. That's the basics of Christianity. If you flip over to Mark chapter 9, Jesus brings up this whole matter again. He brings up this whole matter again. And um, they still don't get it. Mark chapter 9, notice verse 32. I'm sorry, notice verse 31. For he taught his disciples and said unto them, The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men, and they shall kill him. And after that he is killed, and he shall rise the third day. But they understood not that saying, and were afraid to ask. Now you have to ask, what is so difficult about this statement? Guys, I'm going to suffer and to die and to rise from the dead. Is there anything that... It's difficult to understand about that. No. Yet the Bible says they didn't understand it. It wasn't a riddle. It wasn't, anything, it wasn't a puzzle to put together. There was no difficulty in it. Jesus stated the matter plainly. Yet why was it hard to understand? I think it was hard to understand because they didn't want to understand it. Notice the text says they dared not to even ask Jesus any questions. Usually, what does a person do when they don't understand something? They ask questions. What happens when you don't want to understand it? You don't ask any questions. <laughs> you just say, okay, I don't understand it. That's fine. I don't want to hear any more about it. There was no room in their theology for a suffering Messiah, and so they didn't understand it because they didn't want to understand it. Now, brother, let me ask you this question. Do you think that that can be true of us as Christians. Do you think that there can be sometimes truths of the Word of God that are difficult for us to understand, not because we're not smart, not because we need the light bulb turned on in our hearts and minds, but because they rub against our flesh in such a way that we just don't really link up with that truth. Now, I'm not talking about open rebellion. Certainly the hearts of true Christians is we want to know all of God's truth. That's our fundamental disposition. We want to bow before the Scriptures, whatever Christ does, wherever He leads us. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. But that doesn't negate the fact that we can still have deep struggles of soul over aspects of God's Word. Let me suggest to you a couple of areas in which that can particularly be true as was illustrated by the disciples. In fact, in Mark chapter 9, not long before 
Jesus again tells them about going to Jerusalem and, and, and dying, we find the disciples having a conversation and debate over what? Who is the greatest among us? Who is the greatest among us? Let me suggest that their carnal and worldly view of the kingdom to come fed their spiritual pride and the whole concept of having to one-up one another as disciples. And when Jesus comes along and confuses them with the facts that His kingdom is utterly different than what they expect, that His kingdom is not going to be carnal in the way they think, that His kingdom is going to be one in which He becomes the suffering servant who serves His people by dying on a cross and taking the lowliest position and bearing the wrath of God upon a, a Roman cross to be put to death by Gentile dogs. That didn't square with their view of the kingdom. That totally messed up their whole desire to be great in this kingdom. So Jesus had to teach them, listen, that's not how my kingdom works. I'm the greatest example of that kingdom. My, in my kingdom, greatness is given to the one who is the lowliest servant of law like me. In other words, what I'm saying, brethren, is often we can suffer from a self-inflicted blindness to those truths of the Word of God which most humble us. Is that not true? Even if it's a truth that we understand, have you ever noticed in your own heart, I think I've noticed this in my heart, where I tend to avoid studying those truths of the Bible that most clearly reveal what's wrong with Jeff Johnson. Those areas in which the light of truth is going to expose me in areas with areas that I'm not ready to deal with. It's too humbling. It's too painful. I dare not ask any questions. I don't want to know more. There's, a, there's an inward resistance, not rebellion, not shaking my fist in God's hand, but nevertheless just kind of conveniently pushing that to the side. So I suggest that sometimes this remaining blindness from which we need Jesus to, to, a, to apply fresh power can be those truths that are the most humbling. But then also we can suffer from self-inflicted blindness to truths that have implications for our lives that we prefer not to have. If you look back at Mark chapter 8, after Jesus tells the disciples that He's going to die and rise from the dead, and, and Peter rejects that, and Jesus has to deal with him. Jesus says this immediately following that in verse 34 and following, And when He had called the people unto Him with His disciples also, He said unto them, Whoever will come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow Me. For whoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for My sake and the Gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also the Son of Man shall also, also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father and with his holy angels. Something tells me they didn't really want to hear that either <laughs> at that moment. He's saying, in effect, guys, you're, you're not following me to Jerusalem to set up a glorious throne. That's not what's going to happen. 
I'm going to suffer and die. And if you're going to follow in my steps, something very similar is going to happen to you. You're going to have to identify with me in a state of humiliation and humility. If you're ever going to have the crown, you've got to take up the cross. That's a flesh-withering truth. We embrace it with joy, but it's a flesh-withering truth. It, it wars against us by nature. And can I suggest that that's an example of their spiritual blindness? They were not ready for that yet completely. And I think that can remain in the hearts of God's people, even pastors and preachers of the gospel. There can be times where, I don't know if you've ever had this experience, maybe in your growth and grace and understanding of truth. Have you ever come to a place where you realize, listen, if I embrace this as true, this is going to have implications for me and my life and my ministry that are not going to be pleasant. I've been there. Uh, many years ago, <clears throat> I, I can remember when I was first introduced to, to tulip. And I'm not talking about something that grows in the backyard. The doctrines of grace or Calvinism. I grew up Southern Baptist and 20 plus years ago, and I think Dr. Barrett, you lived down there for a while, didn't you? For some time. I, 20 plus years ago, Calvinism wasn't as maybe as popular as known then as it is now. It's starting to grow in that area. And when I was introduced to that, uh, and I, I remember taking some booklets home and beginning to study what the Scripture says, I can remember praying a very simple prayer. You know what that prayer was? Something like this. Lord, show me the truth. Now, I don't remember all that was going on in my mind and heart now. I hope I'm not reading this back into my experience, but I believe I understood why I prayed that prayer. Because I instinctively knew that if I embraced that in my context, a lot different in this context, in that context, if I embraced those truths, it was going to have implications for me personally and ministerially that were unpleasant. And you know what? I was right. <laughs> That's exactly what happened. I'll spare you the details. What was I doing at that moment? I was saying, Lord, touch my eyes. Deliver me from any self-inflicted blindness because of the implications that may be coming. And so here's my challenge, just simply devotionally this morning is, where does this start? Well, it starts this morning by us all coming to the Lord Jesus and saying, Jesus, I recognize there's got to be some remaining blindness in my heart. I'm not yet perfected. Would you touch my eyes in a fresh way? And to help me to see more clearly in the Scriptures those things that I need to see. No matter how humbling, whatever their implications, give me the heart that's ready to take up the cross. Give me the heart that's ready to follow your truth wherever it may lead me. And you know what? The Lord Jesus answers that prayer. When we come to Him with our remaining blindness, He will touch us afresh. He will, in the language of Luke 24, open our minds that we might understand the Scriptures. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Holy Word. Lord, we do confess that we have the remains of spiritual blindness in our hearts. Lord, that though we see, we, You've opened our eyes to see the truth. Lord, we, we can confess that in many ways our Christian experience has been like this in the man in the text, that there, there are things that are just basic outlines of truth. We, they're like trees walking. And over time, you've given us more light and understanding. Lord, help us to know that illumination of the Spirit is not just making us smarter or turning on the lights, but it's removing 
those ethical hindrances and bias and prejudices from our soul that we might see your truth. Lord, we remember the words of the psalmist who said that he understood more than his teachers because he kept your precepts. And I pray, Lord, that you would deepen within our hearts that humility of mind that trembles before your word, ready to hear and to see and to embrace in all of the implications of the truths of your holy word. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.